Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, October 21st, 2013. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And we are not quite headed into the home stretch, but we're getting pretty close to the time where we'll see, you know, those regional rankings from the NCAA. We will have, uh, as each week progresses, a little bit better idea who might get to those four Pool C bids. A note I said four. We'll talk about that uh, here in the course of this podcast. And, of course, uh, let's see. Uh, Keith took a uh, 15-year trip down memory lane, and I took an 887-mile trip down Interstate 94. And we'll talk about those and, of course, all the other things that happened in and around Division Three football this weekend as the one of the two Stag Bowl teams is probably in a position where they're not going to make it back to the playoffs at all with St. Thomas losing. And Wesley, a uh, Pool B team, which is uh, almost enters the season as a Pool B lock, now finds itself uh, a little bit on the bubble as well after losing to Rowan. Keith, why don't we talk and, and start with the, the Pool B thing and, and start with Wesley. And for those of you who didn't listen last week, when we talked about Pool B in some detail, uh, just a reminder that Pool B playoff bids are the ones that go to the conferences that are set aside for conferences that don't have automatic bids. There's three of them. They could go to any three teams that uh, qualify. It could be three teams from the Southern Athletic Association, if the committee so felt, uh, or it could be three completely different conferences. But anyway, uh, looking at Wesley now with two in region losses and not in a position they don't have any other regional opponents uh, and basically no other uh, full division three opponents the rest of the season yeah there's there's two ways to look at where they sit pat or where they stand um is they could hope for a lot of the other pool b teams to lose and there are quite a few of them i think you know seven of them or six of them now that are undefeated or still with one loss and we're expecting there to be three spots uh for pool b so that's you know the one way you could look at it is they, they could hope for a lot of help the other way is because there's there's three openings rather than one or or uh you know the, some of the numbers that have been in previous years you know that they may still have a, an outside chance at, at the third spot if some of these other teams pick up losses here the the problem is um not that many of them face each other they, they don't um all come from the same conferences, so uh, so there's no guaranteed losses in here. We're going to have to see some teams uh, be upset or some teams, uh, you know, play not that well down the stretch. It's happened before, so it's it's not out of the realm of possibility for Wesley to get in, but they need some help, and that's something. Uh, that's a situation that we haven't seen them in very often. But if you think about it, the situation they've been put in with these uh, with the schedule that they've played over the past several years as a as a nationally nationally elite independent, you know, one of these years it, it maybe was going to bite them. You know, scheduling they try to schedule three or four good teams, you know, either from the east or from the south, and uh, you know it's gotten to the point over the past few years where all their D three games are against teams they they you know potentially could lose to teams that would at least give them a good challenge. You look at the schedule they played this year: uh, Widener, Salisbury, Mary Harden, Baylor, Birmingham Southern, Huntington. Rowan and Alfred State. I'm skipping over the the three non D3 teams, and I guess you can take Alfred State out of that mix. But if you if you talk about just the the first five games and the Rowan game, those are all teams that are 500 or better, that are you know among the the top couple teams in their conference. And, and Wesley goes out of its way, I think, to, to to play these challenges, and they've done they've done well against that type of schedule in the past, and it's helped them get into the playoffs. But this is going to be looks like this may be the first year where 
by losing two of those games, it may be what keeps them out. And it'll be interesting, too. I know some people have asked, well, what if they also lose to Charlotte? And Charlotte is a, a Division One FCS program in its first season. And uh, just kind of scanning up and down uh, the schedule that the 49ers have played. They are 4-3. and three. They've played a bunch of ranked teams, or they've played three ranked teams so far in FCS. They have a couple left. And, of course, Wesley, uh, I don't have a lot of great... Uh, points for comparison. They beat Choen 47-7 to uh, way back at the beginning of September. Choen hasn't been in Division Three for nearly a decade now. Um, you know, they lost to James Madison 34-7, to and that kind of is the span right there. Uh, the, you, the, the, I would say Wesley kind of falls somewhere in between those, along with a good majority of college football programs in general. The thing is, of course, you know, if they pick up a third loss in that, that's a game that's not supposed to be part of the primary criteria. And it's very deep in the secondary criteria of a game against a non-division three opponent, especially a scholarship one. But, you know, they're really going to be behind the eight ball. The one good thing, you know, we've talked about this before with Wesley is their strength of schedule. Uh, Their strength of schedule continues to be uh, the highest among pool B teams. And right now, uh, entering this uh, week eight here, they are the they have the second highest strength of schedule among all Division three programs. So at the very least, clearly they would be in the best position among two loss teams. Uh, if you know it comes up between them and a one loss team with a really poor strength of schedule, I would hope that that uh, that they would leapfrog them. But you never really know with the selection committee because that seems to vary from year to year, uh, if not necessarily from bracket to bracket. So. That's just uh, that's just something to keep in mind. Oh yeah, depending on the makeup of the committee and, and the way they interpret the rules, you know, there's there's that situation, Pat, you mentioned where there may be they may be on the board against a one loss team or a handful of one loss teams, and and they may be in good shape, uh, you know, when when we look at them side by side, you know, but to but to simplify it for the people who who aren't that familiar with the playoff criteria, you know, for for most intents and purposes, their record is four and two. Based on who they play, the, the Division Three um, regional games, though they'll be they'll be four and two. They won't have any other games that will really that will factor into the you know the that as they play Menlo, Charlotte, and uh, and Alfred State here the last few weeks. So what they're looking at is how does Wesley stack up against Texas Lutheran, the Millsaps, who are your your teams that are unbeaten right now and will be Pool B uh, team. And then it'll be uh, Framingham State. Is it center? Center and Rhodes are both five and one, and then I'm, I'm at a loss for the the, the one other uh, team, Chicago. I think it is out of the UAA, which is also five and one. So there's, you know, some other teams need to lose, and there's there's you know four weeks a lot can happen in Pool B, but but the problem is really Wesley not having any more opportunities at the rest through the rest of their schedule to make up the ground that they've lost. For St. Thomas, the situation is somewhat similar. I mean, they've got two losses. As we mentioned, only four Pool C bids. There are 25 automatic bids. I think at some point we may have counted erroneously 24 automatic bids. It's not as if they offered an automatic bid to somebody who doesn't qualify for one yet. At this point, I actually have to insert a correction. It turns out that the NCAA handbook, which we were provided with this weekend, contains a rather significant error in that it wants to award an automatic bid in football to the New England Small College Athletic Conference. As most of us know, the NESCAC has not sent a football team to the playoffs in its Division Three history and does not intend to do so this year either. I confirmed that 
with the conference office on Monday afternoon. And so therefore there will be 24 automatic bids, still three pool B and five pool C bids. We've alerted the NCAA and the committee chair to the error, uh, and as of this recording, have not heard back. Pool C bids, and that makes things really tight. You know, as, as much as we've talked in the previous few weeks about it being really difficult for a two-loss team to get in with uh, with a, a five-pool C scenario, this whole playoff bracket itself is going to be really tight, and it's not going to get any better as more teams and more conferences uh, get automatic bids here in the next uh, three or four years. No, Pat, we've talked about this a couple times. 32 is really the max that the the playoffs can get to just because it takes five weeks to determine a champion. We're at 29 conferences now. Not all those conferences have an automatic bid. You don't have to scan very far to see that that before you get to someone like St. Thomas, which is a, you know, a team with two losses overall, and, and both of those uh, losses are, are in-conference games, you just look at the strongest conferences in the country, and there's there's te- there's three conferences right now with three undefeated teams at the top. So, you, you know, you even though they all still have yet to play each other uh, in the WIAC, in the OAC with uh, with Heidelberg Mountain Union, John Carroll in the WIAC with uh, it's Whitewater, Oshkosh, Platteville, and then in the CCIW with Illinois Wesley and North Central and Wheaton, all those teams are all 6-0. So those are, you know, Three out of just out of those nine teams, you figure three are gonna gonna win a conference, but you have three potential one-loss teams that will that will uh, only have a loss to a conference champion in there, and that and that's just disregarding a three-way tie scenario, which means you know there could be craziness team two right two runners up from those conferences which could be in, but if you just take those three conferences and you take the the Northwest Conference, which has two unbeaten teams at the moment plus Pacific Lutheran, which only has a loss to a uh, number two team in the country right. in Linfield right now, that's already four conferences that have a pretty good shot at a pool C bid. You don't know who else is going to be in the mix. You know, another conference with a great nine and one team. The number at at, at times for runners up has been as high as I think nine over the years, maybe eight. It's gone to six, and now it's down to four. And for if if you're a fan of a team right now with two losses, you're not have you have really have no chance to get back into the picture. I think until week eleven, you need a lot of teams to beat each other. So when you're when you're watching these these cross matchups between Whitewater and Oshkosh and Platteville, you want them all to beat up on each other. But I, I don't know if that's going to be enough to get a two-loss team in this year, I think it's going to be really, really tough. I would have to think that a two-loss team that gets in this year is probably someone who's uh, part of one of two at-large bids from the same conference, and to have half of the entire at-large field come from the same conference just seems unlikely. At the very least, not as a two-loss scenario. It would de- I think it would have to be a, a three-way tie scenario, uh, like the ones you uh, referenced being possible, especially in the... OAC or the uh, Wisconsin Area Collegiate Athletic Conference. Not that anybody uh, who's playing college football now, uh, if I remember correctly, was basically alive when they had a, a three-way tie the last time in the OAC. We go back to 1991. I guess there are, uh, there are 22-year-olds playing. So, But you're getting pretty close uh, to not having that in the uh, institutional memory of Division Three football. Um, the, uh, the the three teams in the Wisconsin Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, one of them survived a uh, upset bid 
on Saturday. Two of them play this upcoming week as Whitewater goes to Oshkosh. And as part of my uh, three-game road trip this weekend, I started at Whitewater. For those of you who uh, were here in the first and second week of August. I don't know if you remember, we posted a feature of the best road trips in Division Three this season. One of them was this little three-game triangle that uh, you could come up with uh, using games in southeastern Wisconsin and uh, northern Illinois on Saturday. If you start with the uh, Wisconsin-Whitewater-Eau Claire game on Friday night, finish with the Carthage-Illinois-Wesleyan game on Saturday night, and you had your pick of a couple games on Saturday afternoon, uh, which I chose uh, Lake Forest hosting Monmouth. But I wanted to start with Whitewater because, and I don't know if you know this, if you've only come to Division Three football in the last 18 months, Whitewater won a few championships back in the day, um, as recently as, uh, you know, 22 months ago, um, when they uh, uh, won four times out of seven and three times in uh, a span of a very short time against Mount Union, and then kind of fell off. I don't say the bottom doesn't fall out, but when you go seven and three and don't make the playoffs for Whitewater, that's a that's a bit of a, a a bit of a gut check, a bit of a reality check. And and talking with Lance Leipold, the Warhawk head coach, after the game, um, he thought that you know perhaps that might have been a a good reality check for people around the program who, you know, for whom he would hear from them in the middle of the season saying, what hotel are we staying at this year? Which is to signify which hotel are we staying at, at the stag bowl? Um, you know, you, ha- they found out very quickly this, uh, last off season for them, a uh, uh, post season for the rest of us, uh, exactly what hotel they were staying. And it was uh, nowhere near Salem, Virginia, so the good thing, I guess, if you're a Warhawk fan, is they've looked pretty good, especially in the last few weeks. And they did so on Friday night, in which they defeated Eau Claire by the score of 42 nothing. I go through a lot of the stats in my D3 report, and I would encourage you to watch that. That is linked at the bottom of this page if you're on the blog. So I will not go into detail about that, uh, except to note that, uh, like I noted in the, in the postgame, is that... Eau Claire managed just 61 yards of total offense against the uh, against the Whitewater two deep, and then when you started when they started subbing in people who were uh, not even on this very nice looking by the way depth chart that they passed out of the game, um, then then they managed to get some yards but still couldn't get in the end zone. So uh, what I wanted to do was talk a little bit more in depth about the Whitewater running game because that's something that. You know, fueled them obviously during the course of that seven-year run, um, and they replaced one super stud, all of uh, all-American, all-decade running back with another. And then things kind of didn't really uh, work out in that regard last year. And this year, they started off with a bit of a different situation as well. And I'll just let Lance Leipold talk about it rather than me talking about it. Well, we were playing four to five a game. And, and that's why, because nobody was really emerging to be the guy, but a lot of them did a, a, something really well. So we were playing, and that's why, you know, for somebody like yourself, nationally, you're, you weren't, you know, well, what's wrong with their run game, or why isn't there a a, a hundred yard rusher in there? But we were really splitting up a lot of snaps there, and and waiting, you know, one or two things are going to happen. Somebody's going to emerge, or unfortunately, you're going to start losing a couple, and then those guys came and. And again, our our new offensive coaches. We just have so many, you know, all all new, four new coaches. All five guys are coaching new position. You know, the fifth is coaching a new position. 
for us to get a, you know, and because a lot of that came even after the spring, for us to identify our personnel and find ways to utilize them. I think Andy Kolnicki's doing a great job with that and, and we're getting that going. One of those last two running backs left standing this past week, the two guys who split the, the vast majority of the carries, was Jordan Ratliff. Ratliff, a sophomore, 15 carries for 139 yards. I asked him how he described his running style. I just see myself as like a one-cut one cut go. Just Once I see the hole, I set and I just go right away. First thing I always do is get the first down. I try to like lather up, get a rhythm going, and once I feel my rhythm going, I feel like, I can, I can do anything right now. So the run game may be figured out a little bit, but of course the defense has continued to be solid for Whitewater, as we've mentioned before. Yeah, Pat, it's interesting that, that you pointed out the what they've gone through with the running game, you know, since since the dynasty and, and, and you know, the year and, and the sort of the rise back up this year, you know, the, the Friday night game, 257 rushing yards to just 67 for Eau Claire. And, and, you know, some people see the 257 and say, wow, their offense is back. And I see that that 67 and say their defense is, you know, maybe as good as it ever was. Remember, as we talked about them going seven and three last year, you know, the one thing that was consistent for them that we thought their defense, you know, pretty much was the same defense they'd had all along. Um, you know, maybe didn't have the same personnel and didn't have the stars uh, at certain positions on defense, but um, but they but it kept them in games and and they just happened to lose three of them this year. You know, they're they're still outstanding on defense, and I think once once they they find who they want at quarterback, they find you know instead of one running back, they find a couple of running backs or a group of running backs that work for them. Now you have that chance. And that mix starting to come back together. And, and we're going to see in the next couple of weeks how good they are. You know, we, we got them, of course, way up in the top 25, but they're going to have to play two other teams that are way up in the top 25 in the next couple of weeks as well in, uh, in uh, Wisconsin Platteville and Wisconsin Oshkosh. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's a lot more fun when we anticipate really good games between these three teams in this conference and we, and we see – Whitewater, you know, now that they've been taken down a peg, uh, maybe put their best foot forward again. And the order in the top 25 changed just a little bit this week. Uh, Whitewater, probably based on the strength of, you know, how they did on Friday night, they jumped from uh, 10 up to 7. Of course, St. Thomas also fell below them to drop out of that uh, um, that area of the poll. Uh, Platteville is now second of those three. They're at eight, and Oshkosh uh, is at nine. So I could see um, Platteville. I'd have to think part of that is because of the fact that they needed to come back in the final minute and win at Stevens Point. Uh, that would be my take on that. Yeah, but Stevens Point also is is the other good team in the WIAC. They're four and two. You know, it's not it's not a surprise that that they you know were able to hang with with Platteville. Uh, you know, they're not top twenty five level, but I think they're the the there's a pretty clear split in that conference this year, and Stevens Point is the fourth uh, good team, and the other four teams are uh, are having pretty rough seasons. Um, I've changed my order in the ballot several times over the course of the season. I think I've even mentioned it previously on, on the podcast. Among those three teams, based on what they've done, there was there was a point in the season where I wasn't very high on Oshkosh. Then they had the comeback against Central, and they blew out Marion, and they've been pretty good since then. And uh, and then I sort of I saw some. 
some Platteville play a little bit and and saw some of their scores and you thought maybe their defense isn't going to be good enough to to carry them very far and then Whitewater has been really impressive the past not just week but the past you know two or three weeks where you start to see that old that old championship formula come back together for them I think I moved them back up to to six now they're in that group uh, at the top of the ballot it's a pretty clear top five I think too where you, you got you have um, Mary Harden, Baylor, Linfield, Mount Union, and Bethel, I think, are the clear uh, top four, North Central. This is just for me speaking personally, uh, North Central number five, and then and Whitewater I have back at six. So, you know, they were maybe down in the teens at, at one point this season. I, I didn't know whether to believe in them or not, but but they're right back up there. And now, and, and, and this is going to be true for a lot of teams across the pole and across the country. Now, and from week eight, week nine, we have a lot of where, where some of these top 25 teams and these undefeated teams start to play each other and they'll start to sort things out a little more. Those three teams spread a little bit further apart in the poll this week. There's 29 votes separating them, whereas last week there were four teams within 15 votes. So there being a little more separation, I would have to think that if one of the teams deserves, emerges unscathed from this uh, group at the end of the season and runs the table, goes 10-0, and that they would probably be... Uh, well, I don't know about top five. It may require one of those teams that Keith identified and that the poll agrees with one of them to lose. But I would think that the 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 winner of this head-to-head match, if one team emerges, is probably going to hop Hobart in the top 25 and, and probably slot in at number six and maybe even be at number five. But one of the things also interestingly that to note is that Bethel gained a lot of points on uh, North Central this week, although they did not... Uh, move into the number four spot. They uh, picked up some uh, some points by beating uh, by beating St. Thomas. So there was uh, there's still some movement. If you look, you know, at the finer details, even if a team stays still, take a look at the number of points that they got, because that may be uh, instructive to you as well. You may f- learn some things from that, and you see where the echelons in the teams are. You know, where the the top nine or the top ten, uh, including Wheaton, uh, are in uh, a a, a, a larger grouping by themselves and there's a gap to Heidelberg and another gap down to Franklin and, uh, and Johns Hopkins and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, Pat, go ahead. Pat, Pat, oh, Pat, I was going to say, I don't think people uh, necessarily look at the points very often use, you know, and it is called a top 25 ranking or, or poll. So you, it's natural to look at the ranking and pay most attention to that. But the points sometimes do tell you a little bit more about where the teams stand in relation to each other. On Saturday, game two of my road trip was uh, featured Monmouth traveling to Lake Forest. Lake Forest, you know, we talked about them a little bit a couple weeks ago. They were a team that had started off the season unbeaten, um, and, you know, they had played a whole bunch of really close, low-scoring games, and they played another one on Saturday, uh, coming off of a, a week in which they had gotten pretty much obliterated by Illinois College. Um, you know, Lake Forest uh, was was coming in, against a team that has done pretty well in that conference and they uh they held them at bay and the 17-14 score is actually a little bit misleading but before the game I had a chance to talk with uh Jim Catanzaro who's the head coach at Lake Forest he's a big fan of the podcast Keith I think you probably know that we've seen uh them him talk about it on Twitter uh not only that uh so he reached out to us when I mentioned that I'd be making the trip on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, and actually on Saturday afternoon, he gave me some uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives recommendations for places I could eat between Lake Forest and Carthage. 
uh, because of my time schedule, I was unable to do so. But I did have a chance to sit down and talk with uh, Coach Catanzaro before the game. And I asked him one of the questions I really wanted to know because he seems really into uh, the whole Division Three philosophy. And I know he has backgrounds in other divisions. So I asked him, you know, what he found uh, what he found that he liked most about Division Three, why he liked Division Three. After having coached at the Division Two level and other places, I love the passion the players have for the game. There is a, a unique passion that's not tied to a scholarship. It's tied to the commitment to go out and just play football because that's what they like to do. Um, I like the balance of the academics. We get to be involved as coaches and talking to our guys about their scholarship, not just talking about, hey, did you go to class? It's, what did you learn? What did you do? What you, you know, what are you doing? We have guys that are pursuing research grants and things like that. And to hear what they're doing is unique compared to my colleagues that are at scholarship schools. And, and that's something that I really enjoy. The, the camaraderie, um, having these alums come back and have the same passion for the game here that our mm-hmm. players have, that's, that's unique. I mean, I think I'm sure you go to any school and they have that, but it means more here because they're the loudest, most vocal supporters of what we're doing and the experience the guys are having, not just um, whether they win or lose. Well, Pat, those are things that, that all of us, you know, you and I, but most people listening, you know, that care enough to listen to the podcast can relate to because we've, we've all had these Division three experiences, and it, it is such a unique – we fell in love with it, but, you know, you just don't see – at other levels, you know, the star player sometimes has to leave Wednesday practice to go to science lab or something like that because you go to a small school and they only offer the lab one time in the fall and, and you got to take it. Or you see, you know, we've talked uh, this season about players who who do different things extra extracurricularly. Uh, you know, uh, someone who's who's can play football and be in the theater, or someone who can, uh, you know, play football and and, and pursue uh, a certain area of study. Um, or a real rigorous, you know, academic um, track, you know, whether it's at one of the engineering schools or one of the really, really good schools in the UAA or the NESCAC or or uh, you can be in, you know, there's, there's so many unique D3 schools. Uh, when you talk about Coast Guard and Merchant Marine and Norwich and, you know, the, the military schools and the schools with certain religious focuses, something there where, you know, football, I guess, is the tie that, that binds us all, but it, it, there's so many different experiences. And, uh, you know, the fact that, that everyone has something that they went to school to focus on, that that's not football, but there was also a part of them that didn't want to give up playing. And so they, you know, found the, found the schools where they could continue to play. And it, it really is a beautiful thing. That's what, you know, the, the way I explain it to people is I, I felt like, I couldn't go to campus and watch the games if I knew I could play. I, I wanted to play that bad, and and it was, um, you know, it was it was great to be able to do that and still do the college newspaper and then end up having a career in in in, in journalism and uh, and also being able to still play football. So uh, maybe that's a long way to say that, that I really relate to what he's saying there because that's not just me myself, but but. Uh, I you know I fell in love with it and I've seen that love um you know following it over uh, over several years now. There was of course a third game that I went to see on Saturday but I I thought we should maybe stick with this uh this line of of thought because you also you know obviously very close to your collegiate career on Saturday when you went to uh homecoming at Randolph Macon. Yeah and and it was weird because I didn't make a big stink about going to my 15th reunion or, or, you know, plan it out. I kind of decided during the week that I would go. And, um, 
went and watched the game and, and it kind of struck me during the game that, you know, how much things have changed when you get, you know, I never, I don't feel old necessarily. You and I joke a lot of times on the podcast because we've been do we've been following D3 for so many years and so many things have changed over time. We make jokes, we're old. And, you know, in a sense, when you, you played when guys wore neck rolls and had molded cleats and, and there was no such thing as Under Armour or all this other, or, you know, other stuff, you know, if, if you saw somebody, uh, you know, if they ran the option, it was the triple option or from the wishbone or something like that. It wasn't the read option. A lot of things have changed over the years, but um, but it was really kind of kind of um, was it was a, it was a stark moment for me to kind of sit in the stands and watch a team at Randolph Macon. I'm talking about playing against Washington Lee, um, where a lot has changed for for them as well. But the you know the field is different, the campus is different, and uh, it, it was just a team that I was proud to watch, and that's what kind of. Um, what struck me at the same time, I'm sitting next to guys that I played with that are head coaches in high school. Now, um, you know, accountants, guys that have been, you know, have, they're there with their eight year olds and they're there, but we still remember our games against these teams. You know, you remember like you have certain vivid moments that stay in your memory. And it's, it's just, it was just interesting. And I wanted to share that with the listeners of the podcast that, you know, whether it's, it's for me, it's been 15 years since I played, but for some people, you know, it, it's 20 or 25 or 30 or just five or two or three years. I don't think you ever lose that, um, that attachment to the place that you played at. And, and, you know, for me, um, the, the the field is is there's a place on campus right but it, but the field is completely turned in a different direction they built a building around it they have a video board now there's a there's just a completely different feel in the area but it's 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 I'm still tied to that to the program and, and the memories that I made over the time that I played so I just wanted to point that out and it was it was also real cool to see Randolph Macon and Washington and Lee. Uh, in this 27-21 battle because they're, they're two teams that are st- stuck is not the right word, maybe married, committed to, to the run game, you know, and in such a pass-happy era, you don't see that. And they do it in, in, in two such different ways. You'll see, you know, Randolph Macon runs, um, you know, they'll do eye backs, they'll, they'll run uh, unbalanced formation where they flip, they flip the tight end and an extra tackle. So they'll do like those old school shifts, um, and they just run, run, run the ball. And then uh, Washington Lee is the same is the same way in terms of you know play selection, play maybe their play pass, play pass split. But um, but they run the they run um, they, they line up in you know, wing backs and motion, uh, and then they run the option out of that. And 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 uh, it's just a lot of fun to watch. And that's another thing you know, uh, Coach Cadenzaro said made me think about the different. Division three schools, um, you know, the, the, the different things and academically and the different challenges all these different teams have. There's also different sort of offensive and, and defensive schemes and, and so many different um, just auras, I guess, of, of each of the places that, that we go to Pat, across the country. And that's why, I, this is why that's why I mean, personally, I've never gotten bored with it. Uh, since you know, since I played and, and now doing it 15 years later, because there's just you can never know everything about it, and I imagine you feel the you felt the same way, traveling across the country or across the Midwest this weekend and seeing three different places. There's probably a huge difference between Whitewater and Lake Forest and Carthage, but there's something great about each one of those places. 
And Lake Forest, interestingly enough, I, I think one of the reasons why Catanzaro mentioned the alumni is uh, specifically is because he'd just gotten through addressing uh, the 30th, uh, 30-year reunion of a, their 1983 team, which won a conference championship for them. Um, and as far as I can tell, you know, for them, uh, football is still played in the same uh, the same patch of land as it was back then. Uh, I know that uh, the grandstand there is relatively new, and it's uh, it's very nicely tucked into uh, a corner of campus bordering on a, a very nice-looking residential area. Um, so maybe the difference for them is not so stark, but you talk about you know how things have changed for you and for Randolph-Macon uh, grads, say, in the last 15 years. And I think if you were uh, a graduate of Dubuque or RPI or John Carroll or Washington and Jefferson or St. John Fisher or any of, you know, a long, long list of uh, of programs that are pretty prominent in Division Three right now, um, you could say the same. You know, you could go back right now and and have the same sort of feeling. You know, Dubuque playing in a in a brand new stadium and having success that they never had 15 years ago. RPI in a gigantic stadium, completely removed from uh, where they were on campus. Uh, John Carroll having uh, you know broken things down and rebuilt at St. John Fisher, having built a program up from nothing. Uh, you know, I was there uh, a, a little over 15 years ago, and what Stood, what uh, what passed for a field was a patch of grass, uh, some metal bleachers, and like this little wooden press box that you might see at a recreational softball field. And and they have you know turned themselves into a um, into a, a program that is uh, to be reckoned with in the region in Division Three and, and occasionally nationally. And you know that's the that's the sort of you know some of the great things. And Carthage, for that matter, too. The other place where I was on Saturday, they have changed in the course of the past 15 years as well, in the course of the past uh, 10 even. Uh, and they played Illinois Wesleyan on Saturday. And uh, so I got to see Rob Gallick play in person. If you remember, Rob Gallick is the guy who got hurt uh, late in the season for Illinois Wesleyan as their starting quarterback. Um, and he was uh, he looked all right. He 19-29 for 241 yards, three touchdowns. Kind of a vanilla look from them. Um, and... Carthage uh, scored first and actually held on to the lead for a little more than a quarter before Illinois Wesleyan uh, finally put a couple scores on the board in the second quarter and then put the game away in the fourth. But if I think about, you know, Illinois Wesleyan after what I saw on the field on Saturday compared to what I saw uh, North Central do to Wisconsin lacrosse, and I think lacrosse is a better opponent than Carthage. Um, I think that uh, the more I think of that, the more I look at that, I think it's probably more a two-team race in the CCIW when they finally all play each other and it comes down to it in the next few weeks. Well, I'm really, really looking uh, forward to those those clashes, especially because there's so few spots for runners-up. So I think this season, you know, everybody's going to have that same that feeling that they talk about in the NESCAC where, you know, you, you're just playing for the regular season. In this case, they're not just playing for the regular season. They're certainly playing for a playoff bid, but there may only be one spot available for, for a lot of these teams. And so, so many t- teams start the season just pointed toward the conference championship and anything on top of that is, is gravy. And I think, it, you know, that's going to be a, a that's the only thing that's guaranteed. That's what I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, in, in this WIAC race, there are three teams right now that are 6-0, and and they feel like we could have a 10-0 and season and we could go deep into the playoffs. Somebody may do that, but there also may be somebody in a premature end to their season. You know, you start out 6-0. and We've seen Wheaton, for example, do this, start out 6-0 and and finish 8-2 and 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 out of the postseason or in the postseason, actually. But, uh, but you know, it can be, it can be really disappointing. 
I imagine when you start out really well and uh, and don't finish strong. So I think for some of those in some of those three headed races, you know, we got to keep in mind that somebody's going to have great success here. Some uh, a second team may get into the playoffs and the third team uh, may end up out of this whole thing. Pat, one more point I wanted to make about uh, we talked about the changes in um, over time. Um, and it struck me as I was filing my uh, top 25 ballot this week that if we had shown our 2013 ballots to our, say, 2003 selves, let's say 10 years, <laughs> um, w- would we believe that we're, that we're voting right now? for Wisconsin Oshkosh and Heidelberg and, and uh, you know, Pacific, maybe somewhere near your ballot, uh, a team that didn't even exist uh, at the time. I, I, you know, it just, it strikes, I, I mean, it's great to see these different teams cycle through and I, I made mention of that in snap judgments. You know, Maryville is getting votes now uh, in, in the top 25. Illinois College is not a program that was on the map 10 years ago, I mean, they, were, they existed, but they certainly weren't one that, um, that was on the verge of the top 25. And, you know, I think it's neat to see that, and it, it's interesting to see things cycle through. And, and Pat, I wonder, I wonder what your take on that was. You know, if, if you had looked at the, the top 25 right now, 2013 and 2003, what would amaze you the most? Well, I guess this is interesting. The first, the second thing or the first thing that came to mind uh, after some of the things that you mentioned is that I look at this, if I look at this with a 2003 frame of mind, I think, man, so Mount Union is still here, <laughs> you know, for all the things that changed, um, you know, Mount Union stayed the same and, you know, Linfield kind of went and came back in that span, but Linfield was certainly highly thought of in 2003. It's... um. It's interesting, and it really kind of makes me, uh, you know, it gives me a little more sense of awe over, you know, what Mount Union has been able to accomplish, staying in that conversation and almost never, even one week, hardly, being out of the top two in that 10-year span. Yeah, it, it really has been an amazing run, and, it, it, you know, at some point, uh, I'm not going to say that it's going to end, but they, the the stretch of dominance may fade, and they may just end up being a pretty good football program or a playoff contender or a challenger at some point. But that time is not yet now by uh, what they've done so far this season. Although for Mountain Union and and to a lesser extent, some of these other teams in the top 10, they really haven't had many big clashes yet. And that's what I'm really looking forward to the end of October and November. Indeed, and we have a lot of games coming up uh, this week where teams who uh, share first place or in a position to share first place are are, uh, facing off against each other. Uh, We also have a few things that uh, we want to talk about that happened in Week 7 before we uh, continue to move on. Uh, One of the things that uh, came to mind, you know, I mentioned uh, the University of Dubuque and the fact that that they went to Coe and just kind of really handled Coe. I I thought it was interesting this week... um, as the two top 25 polls, ours and the coaches poll, kind of uh, continue to move, our poll, as you may have noticed if you watch it uh, fairly closely, um, we're not the kind of group of voters that automatically promotes somebody or moves the team up the ladder just because somebody ahead of them lost. You know, If we see something coming or see signs that you know maybe a team uh, might not be as good as we thought, I think the voters are fairly good about reevaluating their ballot and kind of moving teams around based on that. So for example, uh, this past week, 
the way that the AFCA poll and the way our poll evaluated Co uh, really began to diverge. And it used to earlier it had been a couple of spots that the coaches poll had had Co higher. And this past week it was actually five spots. The coaches poll ranked Co 16th. We ranked them 21st. And uh, and then Dubuque came in and really kind of obliterated both of those, to be honest with you. Neither of those looks great. Um, I would point to the fact that I thought ours looks better at 21. But either way, uh, for all the talk that I've said, at least in the past uh, eight weeks or so, thinking that nobody might run the table in the Iowa conference, uh, conference schedule, uh, pff, Dubuque just made a statement that maybe they just might. Well, I think what's significant about that, too, is that it's this is the the advent of Dubuque in the post Michael's Weefel era that uh, that, you know, did they have a, they had a player who was a, a you know, transcendent guy. He was a, a, a Gallardi Trophy winner. He was a star from the moment he first stepped on campus at River Falls and then uh, moved down to Dubuque and was a star. And, you know, we had a chance to meet him and sit with him. And he was a, a great kid and a, and a heck of a player. And. Uh, then they, you know, then they again they fell back last season, and now this is the this is the rise, this is the the building of the entire program, and we're starting to see the the program itself blossom. And, and we've, the, you know, they've had a couple of false starts, but this may be it for real. Another team in the vein of of Heidelberg and, and Wisconsin Oshkosh that we mentioned that you know to now have a, a great program um, at a place that had been a you know kind of perennial doormat. Uh, you know, gives hope to all the other programs across the country that they can get it turned around, whether it takes two years or five years or 10 years or, or, or longer than that to get it turned around. It can happen if you get the right coach and the right administrative support and the right group of, of, of players on campus. You know, speaking more specifically just about the the, the difference in the polls and the Iowa race, you know, I, I wasn't voting for, for Co at all. And the reason was um, I wasn't, they hadn't played a really great schedule, and you know there there's some other teams I think that that that's also true of, and then I I voted for them anyway. Wheaton being one of them, um, and Wabash and Wittenberg they they haven't played great, and that's that's still ahead for them. It's uh you know I mean I, you could say that's that's true of Heidelberg too. So you can't not vote for any team, every team that that hasn't played anyone great. But I I didn't know what to make of that that race. In Iowa, I voted for for Wartburg in the twenty fifth spot last week, and and this week it was Dubuque that that I moved into the uh, the, the twenty one. I think was where I ended up sliding them. But Iowa is is one of those conferences in the in the group uh, that you know we we often mention where you, sometimes it takes you a while to figure out because there's no clear cut dominant team. It takes you a while to figure out. You need those results. You need to get into week seven, week eight, week nine, deeper into the season at least the middle of October, to really figure out what's going on. And I don't think we can say definitively, okay, now we have we have the conference figured out, but we certainly have uh, a, a much better you know, piece of data to base. And I would just point out the, the thing that I uh, like about Dubuque and to continue to push for my uh, pet project, which is to get people to schedule strong games. Uh, Dubuque with the three games against uh, WIAC opponents, beat lacrosse, Lost to Platteville, lost to Stevens Point, but still, it, nothing's going to prepare you for uh, a conference schedule in a you know a middle of the pack conference like playing a bunch of teams out of the really strong conferences around you. So, uh, I uh, you know just wanted to throw that out there as a reminder to people because Dubuque still has this thing called the automatic bid to play for, and you know even if 
they lost a couple of games early, they'd still be in position to get themselves to the playoffs. And, you know, they'd be more prepared to face a playoff caliber team. On the flip side, we've seen that that backfire, too, and, and teams get demoralized early. And then and then, you know, when they get into their conference schedule, they, they don't play well. So, you know, it, it can go either way. And it, it, I prefer, of course, to see strong games. And Pat, I know you you are a big proponent of uh, of aggressive scheduling as well. It, it benefits the fans. It benefits uh, national interest in the games. And it also has the potential to benefit your team if you play really tough teams early in the season. And then you get into your conference schedule, it doesn't seem quite so daunting. And I, I think that's probably true of some of the teams out on the West Coast as well. Uh, the, the Texas teams that schedule big games, and it usually works out for Wesley, although uh, when they stumbled on Saturday, they didn't, it, now they're in trouble. Another interesting note out of Week 7, two of the top teams in the Ohio Athletic Conference played in the Columbus, Ohio area. Uh, Did not play each other, but have to think that uh, with Mount Union playing Capital in the afternoon and Heidelberg playing at Otterbein in the evening, you get uh, two teams who have an opportunity at least to get get a look at each other um, in the... uh, in the uh, interim or while they're not playing their game. Obviously, I don't know if there is a prohibition against live scouting in the Ohio Athletic Conference. I'm just going to say that out loud. At the very least, I would hope that a bunch of fans uh, from either side got a chance to look at who one of their big pieces of competition is going to be this season when the two of them face off coming up in a couple of weeks on November 2nd in Tiffin, Ohio. So uh, Mount Union, obviously, little trouble with capital. Uh, Heidelberg, you know, gave up... So- Gave up some to Otterbein, but not much trouble there, and still seem to be on a collision course with each other, and then maybe on a, later on a collision course with John Carroll. But again, those are two teams that continue to roll. But what they would have seen is is two teams right now that that I think are running the ball in an outstanding way. You know, for Mount Union, we thought probably their run game was going to be a lot stronger. Behind uh, behind Germany Woods and Mason Minnick, and actually on Saturday it was it was Kevin Burke, the the quarterback, who uh, who did most of the damage in the running game. But I, I think they're getting to the point. Uh, you know, maybe it's because they played some of the easier teams in the or easier for them teams in the OAC. But we see now them be able to get the ball to a lot of different players. Uh, Mountain Union, I'm speaking of, and and that is, you know, the, they're they're bringing guys along remember they had to replace 10 offensive starters and so they had to kind of feel out who's going to be next who who are going to be the the, the big players uh for mountain union besides kevin burke and and you know it's nice to know that they can always lean on him and that he's a runner as well as a pass up some other some other offensive talents as well and i think heidelberg you know you just you look at them and, and uh you know as, as nice a quarterback as michael meese is it's uh it's cartel brooks when he has days like he had on uh, on saturday uh, a record-setting day, over 300 yards rushing. You know, the the thing that was impressive to me is that he had he had several long runs. You know, he had a 74-yard run, and he had three touchdown runs that were, uh, I think it was like tw- 23 yards and a couple of runs over 30 yards for touchdowns. When you have a guy that can break runs like that against a team like Otterbein, which is not you know necessarily a pushover, but, you know, middle-level uh, OAC team, you know, you, you have a you have a game breaking player, and, and you you ride that guy as much as you can, and, and I'm sure he's going to give a, give credit to his offensive line as well. But I'm really curious to see how far Heidelberg has come since last season, and the way you measure that 
that they do, you know, playing against Mount Union. That game was 33-14 last year. It was a pretty close game uh, for a good portion of that game. You know, it's a different Mount Union team, but at the same time, the way everybody in Ohio and pretty much everybody in Division Three measures how good they are is how they play when they get a chance to, to play Mount Union. That game is uh, November 2nd, a couple weeks from now, so uh, we'll get to see that. And, and the OAC will start to sort itself out when we get to November. And, you know, just for the record, John Carroll gave up nine points this week. Um, that's significant because it's the most uh, points that they've given up in a single game so far this season. But not to think that we forgot about John Carroll. Uh, we're focused on the two teams that play each other coming up in a couple weeks. And, yes, John Carroll plays Heidelberg in Week 10 on the 9th of November and plays at Mount Union in Week 11 on the 16th of November. Uh, one team that will be playing here coming up this week, and we're glad to see them back, is the United States Merchant Marine Academy, which has sat on the sidelines for three weeks. They did not play RPI. They didn't play Rochester. They didn't play Springfield because of the government shutdown. However, they will return to the field this upcoming weekend against WPI. They'll get a chance to make up that RPI game because they had a mutual bye week coming up on November 2nd. It'll be interesting for Merchant Marine. Obviously, this is a program that's going to be very fired up if Anybody remembers uh, they were three and one. They will end up playing eight games this season. I, you know, as far as I know, technically they're still eligible for the Liberty League title, although they need Hobart to lose twice because that's the uh, the one conference game they've played is Merchant Marine has lost to Hobart. Um, you know, it'd just be interesting to see how they come back after three weeks off and kids uh, even having been off campus. You don't have a lot of opportunity to, you you know, you can't do two-a-days at this point in the season, I believe, because of NCA rules. You really got to kid, get kids back in and on the same page really quickly. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, it's not even friendships for Merchant Marine. It's just getting back out there and having that experience of playing, practicing with the guys that, that you, you know, are best friends with or the guys you get to know. Uh, over the course of, of of seasons, you know, for for the seniors in the program, you had three weeks of your of you know your last thing. This is the thing that I, I was talking about earlier in the podcast. Well, you'll be back on campus in ten or fifteen years, looking back at these times that you're living right now. So for Merchant Marine, just to be able to live them again and play games and practice and travel and do all the stuff that that is associated with being on a on a uh, college football team, I think is going to be great for them. I'm, I'm glad they're able to make up uh, the the RPI game uh, on November second, and you know we'll obviously be watching them closely. You know, if that's the that may be the teeniest silver lining of all time that we where we you know some seasons we we check out the Secretary's Cup game and that's it. This season, you know, we, we, kind of everybody's rooting for them except for maybe you know RPI. I mean WPI when when they play them this week, but. Uh, you know, we're just just glad to see them back out there, and it, and, and it drives home how valuable this experience is to all the rest of us when you watch one of your your fellow teams get it taken away for no real reason. When I think about the NESCAC, for example, uh, prohibiting its teams from playing even nine games, let alone the ten that are permitted by Division Three rules, so you have a senior class that goes through having had just thirty-two opportunities instead of forty. At least someone who goes to a NESCAC school knows that that's what they're getting into. That's what they signed up for. Um, when you have just those 40 opportunities, I hate to see anything happen to have one of those games be uh, be canceled, be called off the schedule, because there are just so few opportunities. We don't get 12 games. We don't get 13 games. We get just 10. 
And that's losing one game is a pretty significant chunk out of a senior season or even a, a fairly significant chunk out of a college career. So, yes, again, the Mariners, welcome back. Uh, they will play at WPI on Saturday in Week 8. A lot of other key games in Week 8, a lot of games involving conference unbeatens or teams who share uh, first place in conferences, You know, games such as that uh, Whitewater-Oshkosh game that we've been talking about. And, Keith, I know you have a list of some others to run through, too. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the CCIW starting to sort things out. Wheaton goes to Illinois Wesleyan this week. And, uh, you know, we just haven't seen uh, Wheaton or Illinois Wesleyan or North Central. Right now, the three big teams in the CCIW uh, clash. We haven't seen any of those good teams play each other. And looking forward to that getting started. You mentioned uh, Whitewater and Oshkosh. Whitewater, Oshkosh, Platteville. We're ready to see you guys start playing each other. So looking forward to that. Pacific Lutheran at Willamette, I think, is a pretty interesting one. Yeah. Uh, St. John. Yeah, it is. You know, And actually, I, I should uh, jump in there for a second. So Willamette comes into the week ranked 21st. Uh, Chris Mitchell, the SID at Wash U, reminds me that it's not been a good few weeks for the number 21 team in the country, actually. Uh, you know, the four out of the six weeks the number 21 team has lost, including Coe this past week. And, and Willamette has to beat Pacific Lutheran to uh, to break that uh to break that mold. So best of luck there. At least they're at home to get that game. And uh, the, the Northwest conference is like the one conference uh, of, of the ones with three pretty great teams at the top of it that we've at least seen, you know, um, start to have a good team's bang heads earlier in the season. If you look at the Mayak where, you, you know, you may have four or five really good teams in that conference, they've had some crossover play. Uh, between their 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 top tier teams as well, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, St. John Fisher at Ithaca, not a first place game because Salisbury's in first place there, but maybe something of an elimination game uh, in in playoff terms. And also, you know, who's gonna you know Ithaca? I guess still has a chance to to face Salisbury. Could, you know, that may turn into a three way situation there in the uh, in the Empire Eight. Randolph making at Guilford, TCNJ at Cortland. Those are a couple of games that I don't think anybody circled at the beginning of the season thinking that they would have first place implications, but both of those will next week. Uh, in the ODAC, Hampton, Sydney is also in first place. And in uh, in, in New Jersey, in the NJAC, TCNJ right now is in, in first by itself, but I settled, especially if the Lions go up to Cortland State and lose to the Red Dragons on Saturday. Uh, another one uh, with first place uh, on the line, Lakeland at Concordia, Wisconsin in the NAC. Is that how you pronounce it? If you were f- to phonetically say NACC out? <laughs> yeah, I guess so, but it would probably just say NACC. Uh-huh. All right. I like, I'm, I'm from ODAC country where we just turn everything into <laughs> ODAC and NJAC country. That's where I'm from. There you go. That, that's the list. And, uh, you know, that's not the, the end of the big games. You know, there, there are key games, I think, everywhere. You know, you can, you can pick anything off the schedule, like Trinity at, at Middlebury is a big game in a NESCAC, but it's not a, necessarily a first-place game. You know, this time of the season, especially with, with a lot of the, you know, familiar conference teams, you know, schedule – at this point in the season, you're usually playing the same team every week. And so you start to look forward to, okay, last week, October, we always play these guys. And this is a big, big conference game. And so uh, a lot of familiar 
not not big, you know, end of season rivalries coming up, but a lot of familiar faces meeting uh, in a week like this, and, and big games pretty much in, in almost uh, all of the twenty nine conferences. I would say if uh, Ron Garrett for Kings is going to extend his incredible week of or his incredible streak of five consecutive games with defensive touchdowns, he'll have to do it against Delaware Valley this week. How about that? Is just kind of hard to. It's hard. It, it's a little bit mind-boggling. There, you go. You could go a long time and not have a receiver with uh, a streak of of five consecutive games with touchdowns. And this is a guy who's you know whose side of the ball doesn't involve having the ball. I mean, it's hard to catch like five passes and they're thrown to you. You know, for someone to score in five uh, five consecutive weeks and someone who doesn't normally touch the ball and and in five different ways is is a pretty unique occurrence and an outstanding thing and it's kind of cool for kings i think to get a little bit of shine because you know when there's 244 programs you know some seasons just get lost uh, among the among the flood because there's so many teams and so many conferences and if you're not in the conference race it's nice for 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 certain programs that don't always necessarily get the spotlight shine on them to to have it shine on them and have it be for a good reason instead of some kind of you know uh, you know bad thing happening or or you know rule being broken or something like that i think that's a pretty cool thing for kings and i'm glad uh, dave McHugh was there on the scene on uh, on saturday Yep, so if you haven't seen, uh, Dave has a post-game interview that uh, you can find in the post-game show, which is that thing I mentioned earlier. It's at the bottom of the page, or you can find it later in uh, Monday afternoon on the front page. And then if you watch Dave's D3 report from that game, he actually has the highlight as well. So uh, a couple of different ways to, to get caught up on uh, on what happened there. Um, we should also go through and uh, score triple take here. Before we reach the hour mark, just in case anybody who uh, signs off after an hour doesn't uh, doesn't know that this happens, um, yeah. So uh, let's see, game of the week: Ryan and Keith Bo take uh, St. Thomas at Bethel. Yep, pretty obvious. I just uh, I wanted to um, not have all three be the same, so I took that Dubuque Co game, which you know, if you look at the scoreboard, was not necessarily a game, but I would say that it had at least some impact this week. Maybe something. Yeah, de- definitely one of the shakeup games of the week. Maybe you could have used that one elsewhere as your your <laughs> top twenty five team most likely to lose, but Did we'll you? take it as game of the week. I, I think it was it was worth worthy uh, of of uh, it lived up to the billing. Well, I think when we get to most likely top twenty five team to be upset, I think I do just fine for myself. But we can uh, burn that bridge when we come to it. Uh, the surprisingly close game. This is the one that I always have the most trouble with. I don't really know what we would consider surprisingly close. So, for example. Uh, Greenville hosting Northwestern. Uh, Greenville beats Northwestern 37-23. I don't know who necessarily think would be the favorite in that game. Um, that uh, Greenville winning would have surprised me in September. Doesn't necessarily surprise me the way the first six weeks went. Okay. I took Willamette at Lewis and Clark. I took a little bit of heat for that uh, from the Northwest Conference folks. And I just said, you know, again, surprisingly close. What does that mean? Uh, for me, it was thinking that Lewis and Clark might score enough points to make it look respectable. Lewis and Clark did score 30. Uh, Willamette scored 56. So you can take from that what you'd like. And then Sewanee at center. So Sewanee uh, lost to center 
So yeah, but it, but yeah. I, I want some surprisingly close points for this because uh, Sawani actually led that game uh, in in the third quarter, seventeen seven, and then uh, Center turned it on and uh, and ran away with it there at the end. Most likely top twenty five team to get upset. We were about a minute or so away from sweeping the table, which is really difficult to do in this category. We basically have to go through and decide which team that our voters really like. Uh, you know, is going to, is going to do something surprising this week. So, uh, Ryan tips took Wisconsin Platteville, uh, Stevens point, uh, battled back. They took the lead in that game and then Platteville scored in the closing minute to uh, come back and, uh, pick up the victory there. I took St. John Fisher, uh, St. John Fisher, uh, losing at Salisbury. You can put a check in my box and you can put a check in Keith's box too. Cause he picked 21 co who might've, you might, he might, might've referred to that earlier. Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't you know, trying to pat myself on the back. I think the That's the right. Platteville pick is probably more of a, more of an impressive pick. You know, the higher you go up the top twenty five, um, the more risky you know, you you would say the pick is. And and Ryan probably showed the most foresight out of out of all of us by by forecasting that as a close game, even though technically it wasn't a loss. It was certainly um, eye opening to people who who hadn't been following that conference closely. Because uh, you know Platteville's ranked and Stevens points it isn't, but I think I think uh, as we mentioned way earlier, you know, forty minutes ago now, um, you know, Stevens point is pretty pretty. Sub- yeah, yeah, they're not bad. Uh, they'll be on your radar. Ryan takes the ODAC every week, brings surprises really? in this conference. That's true. The entire conference. It's hard to be off a radar as an entire conference, I guess. Unless, well, I'm not going to name those conferences. But your thoughts on that? Well, I think the one thing that did happen in the ODAC on Saturday is that we got a little bit of clarity because uh, WNL Bridgewater picking up their second losses means it's now basically a three-horse race at the top of the conference with Hampton, Sydney, um, Guilford, and Randolph-Macon. And then we mentioned you know Randolph-Macon and Guilford play each other on Saturday, so it, it, it may be a two-team race. And of course, ODAC historians may root for uh, for it to be. Macon and Sydney, the two teams left in there, so that way they can play in Week 11 and decide the conference. But uh, but Guilford's not going to make it easy. Um, I just wanted to point out that uh, the word clarity used to be part of the uh, Around the Nation podcast drinking game. Uh, I've tried to consciously steer away from it over the course of the last couple of years because it seemed like one of those years we said clarity like, yeah, pretty much every other word. Uh, I took Trinity, Connecticut. I knew they had an opportunity to be on the radar, and I keep thinking about this. You know, I have the opportunity to influence what's on the radar by posting something on the front page. So, hooray! I win. I got Trinity, Connecticut. They were on the radar. They won their fiftieth consecutive home game. They beat Bowden. Yeah, and then how convenient they were the photo in the uh, in the full nation wrap up on uh, on Saturday's front page. So this you're is right. what you I'm getting. Kind at. of put something on the radar, and then put the radar on something or, or, or something of that nature for about a uh, half when, hour to 45 minutes before that uh the uh the guilford bridgewater game was actually the lead so i i actually gave uh ryan tips some radar too uh keith took wesleyan which beat well, amherst that, and and what's neat about that is now uh wesleyan and trinity the the two connecticut rivals uh you know not as as well known as amherst at williams and maybe not as as well named a rivalry as the the main end of the uh the NESCAC rivalry, the CBB, the Colby Bates and Bowden rivalry, but Trinity and and, and Wesleyan is a is a pretty nice rivalry in and of itself. And it looks like this season it may have the conference title on the line when they meet at the end of the season. 
short drive between uh, Middletown, Connecticut, and Hartford, uh, which is hard to say in Connecticut with all the traffic. Which team will turn the biggest 180 from last week? Ryan took Augsburg. Augsburg uh, did defeat St. Olaf. I took Pacific, uh, thinking 180 in the opposite direction. Um, Pacific, uh, you know, they actually acquitted themselves pretty well. Um, I was talking to Pacific people during the week uh, who were, you know, wondering how things might play out this week. And I mentioned that I thought that if Pacific did well against Pacific Lutheran, they could actually gain uh, some position in the polls and they gained some votes. Uh, so we have that. And then Keith, I think, might almost have the winner for this week in taking Rowan as a team to take the biggest 180. Yeah, and, and I, I do feel like I, I saw that coming. I don't think Rowan was as bad as they were uh, at Morrisville State. And then as a player, you see Wesley on the schedule. You know, you really lock in for that week. And so I thought Rowan coming off a bad loss, they're already going to have you know a rough week of practice anyway in terms of uh, the coaches being on them. And then knowing that they had to play Wesley, I thought they'd bring a, a, a you know, I don't want to say their A game, but they'd play their best. But I, I, one phrase in here, kind of, you know, hindsight, I'm kicking myself. Some of the profs will win, but they'll give them give a performance uh, more befitting their reputation, which, you know, the second half of that sentence certainly true. But uh, but I didn't go all the way out on a limb and pick Wesley as my top 25 team to be upset. Well, I was going to let you slide, but uh, OK, you uh, for uh, full disclosure. Appreciate that. Thanks for the clarity. Uh, it still counts as a 180. That's right. Which I mean, losing to Morrisville State, you know, there's a. That is a 180 in and of itself. They went uh, 180 in the wrong direction previously. Uh, which team with two or more losses is worth watching this weekend? Ryan took Gettysburg against another two-loss team, Muhlenberg. Um, should have gone the other way around, right? If I go back and look, yeah, Muhlenberg beat Gettysburg 35-10. to 10. I took Bethany. I feel like I should get a check in my box for that. Bethany defeated Waynesburg. Uh, and Bethany, how about Bethany? They're looking, uh, you know, obviously... They uh, have a couple losses under their belt from earlier this season, but they've uh, put up a couple of wins in the past two weeks against teams who have traditionally contended in the uh, President's Athletic Conference in recent years. Yeah, I mean, I think we could put them in the group with with Maryville and some of the other programs that we'd mentioned uh, between the podcast and between Snap Judgments as a, as a team that's uh, finally earning a little bit of uh, of respect. And you know, it's been a long time. You know, since Bethany's had a, a, a contending team in, in the President's Athletic Conference, and now they do. And, and even though I don't think it's a, a playoff caliber team, I think it's neat for them to be able to experience it. And uh, Keith, you took LaGrange and picking LaGrange to win against Huntington, or at least picking uh, LaGrange to be worth watching, uh, you get a, a check there. Yeah, and, and that was a little bit of a surprising result. Uh, you know, I, I thought LaGrange had the offense to, to match. And um, the the win though was surprising. Forty four forty one game. Uh, Lagrange, you know, w- the USA South is is. There's, it, 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 I don't know who 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 to back in that conference as, as the as the power team, and it's kind of that's kind of fun, you know, in terms of being a, a a viewer from afar and not a bat, you know, not a fan of any one of those teams. Um, you know, Maryville obviously looks pretty good. Christopher Newport has had its, its moments to shine this season. Huntington and LaGrange um, have both had, had big moments this season. And I think what that does is it just makes it a more interesting conference to follow overall. And, and that can only help that conference's profile nationally. 
And then for the final question, Ryan Tips threw me a bone and said, which team would you have liked to see play this Saturday so that we could all talk about Merchant Marine? But I also wanted to talk about Swarthmore. Am I, uh, am I, am I uh, overboard talking about Swarthmore 13 years later, Keith? I still feel like that school got uh, or that football program got a real raw deal at the hands of its administration. Hey, if you don't mention it, nobody else ever will. And, and you know, D3football.com does have a history element to it, so you might as well put it out there whenever you can because otherwise, Pat, those thoughts just stay in your head and no, nobody else gets to, to share and enjoy in them. Nobody wants to be in my head, that's for sure. And that is the uh, end of the Around the Nation podcast as we head into week eight of the Division Three football season for Monday, October 21st, 2013. For Keith McMillan, I'm Pat Coleman. Just a reminder of all the things coming up this week once again on D3Football.com. You can see the uh, post-game show with the D3 reports. Teams highlight packages. There's some really good games in that highlight reel this week, uh, including the Bethel-St. Thomas game. Uh, and that sort of thing, the Louisiana College, Mary Harden-Baylor game, that was a great game that in the course of a little over an hour we did not talk about. So go watch those uh, Go watch those highlights. Um, there's post-game interviews uh, from Johns Hopkins, uh, from the, the Kings game that I mentioned earlier, uh, the games I was at, and a bunch of other games too. The WNL uh, coaches in there talking about having lost to Randolph-Macon. Keith, you might be interested in that. And uh, all sorts of things. So there's that. And then the... Uh, d3football.com play of the week nominations are due uh, in video form by 5 p.m eastern time on monday nominations due for the team of the week presented by scoutware that is our weekly honor roll they're due by 8 p.m eastern you will see around the region columns on tuesday and keith will we see uh, around the nation columns during the week this week yeah i think i'll be able to turn a couple out i had some uh them last week about the the top 25 but we got to touch on them a little bit in the podcast you know mostly about looking at the points in, instead of uh necessarily the rankings but uh but yeah there's a lot of a lot of data to mine in the top 25 this week and uh and, and of course we're getting to the part of the season where the history lesson later in the week will be pretty cool as well because rivals are starting to meet each other one more week before we get to talk about regional rankings, but I will put together a little bit of a playoff primer for those of you who are new to Division Three or new to playoff contention and are asking those questions. I will answer them not just uh, you know to the people who email, but we'll put them out in public for everybody to see. So you can see those and other things on the site throughout the course of the week. Thanks for listening. That's the Around the Nation podcast. <laughs>